ATV Talk, the podcast presents Inspired. Sit down with your host, Leonard Duncan, as he interviews men and women whose stories are so inspirational that they need to be shared. Hopefully, their stories may inspire you and create a change. Mondays at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years, with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terramaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports Tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. TPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV dampener with better control and handling with an upgraded vein and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Hey, Danny Ray Duncan. Um, Thanks for coming on ATV Talk. Um, Our Inspired series is always about an individual that has done something above and beyond the rest of the world. And I was having a conversation with my wife, Terry, and we were talking about different people for inspired. And she looked me dead in the eye and goes, why are we having this conversation? Call your son and get him on the show and talk about what he does. He saves lives for a living and um, works in a hospital and, and, He's a respiratory therapist. Um, I know he's not a nurse, you know, your traditional doctor, nurse things, but uh, respiratory therapists have their own deal. And um, so we're going to talk to Danny Ray today. So, Danny, how are you? I'm good. How about yourself? A little different when uh, when you're talking to me about something that, that you do every day and that you're passionate about. Um, and there are people that, that hold you in a higher standard because what you do for a living. Um, and I, uh, I'm one of those people, you know, I work on ATVs for a living. I, I don't think I save lives or change the world in any way to make it better. Uh, I've listened to a few of your stories where you've brought people back from the brink. And, uh, I, uh, think that it's an admirable profession. Yes. It's definitely, uh, not as well known as obviously nursing, but to be honest with you, it's getting just as, just as much recognition. I mean, that honestly COVID helped with that. And there is, um, a, a lot going on to help progress the profession and, and change it and mold it. And we have one program in, uh, at the Ohio state of Ohio state university, I believe that uh, has a mid-level program that they just came out with. That's, that's a master's program. That's equivalent to a nurse practitioner. So that's, 
that's huge. It's only in one state right now, but hopefully it'll start trickling in and, and they're hoping to have it relatively soon to where we can be, you know, what they classify as mid-level, meaning PA, NP, CRNA is considered a, a mid-level, if people don't know, a certified registered nurse anesthetist, which is um, the route you can go for anesthesia for, uh, for through nursing. And it's, it's a master's or a doctorate degree. It's actually switching to straight doctorate degree. And um, there's a, there's a, a lot of advancement going on in, in the medical field. And I, I think it's really, really good. We need more mid-level type positions because, you know, we're short on doctors and, you know, the doctors can't, uh, can't keep up. I mean, we have at my hospital in particular, we have a 35, 35 bed ICU for adults and, uh, we have two doctors on at a time. So, I mean, you do the math, we have 35 patients, you know, they're, they're getting quite a few patients and that's a lot for, you know, one doctor to take care of that's, you know, 16 or 17 patients one way or the other. And we're usually pretty full. We're a huge trauma facility. We have a cardiac facility, meaning we do, if you fall down on your ATV and bang yourself up then then we take you in and we fix you up and we have a trauma surgeons on, we actually have a burn unit now. So if you forget hard on their ATV, what are you talking about? Yeah. So if you, uh, if you do, uh, get burnt or anything like that, we have a burn unit and that's really a lot. It's a lot, it's a lot of work and, uh, they're long-term patients, you know, they're usually there six months, which is a long time. I mean, that's just, if they, I mean, we, we have good success rate, but I mean, if that's, if you make it and you have come in for a triple bypass surgery, we take you too. And. So we just, we just have a lot going on within our facility and, um, we got the sand dunes just North of us, St. Anthony, which are really big in the summer up here. And, and so we get stuff from there and, you know, you get your typical car accidents and stuff like that. And, and then we have a, a, a level three surgical NICU as well. And so that's, God, what was that like? I don't know how many beds of that, and that. I don't want to misspeak. Can you explain what that level three means? Is that is that how many levels are there? So there's four levels. There's one, two, three, and four. The higher the level, the higher the acuity. Acuity meaning the higher um, problematic patients that you 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 would take. So we take down to 23 weeks. So if you're born at 23 weeks, normal gestational age is 40. So if you're born half cooked, essentially, or just over half cooked, we 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 have a, a pretty good success rate actually at uh, making sure that there's sustainability of life, and and a, a lot of them go on to live normal lives. I mean, I I when I first went down there, been down there two years now, um, I was a little skeptical. I was like, oh man, at 23 weeks, like you got head bleeds. And you got this, they're not going to, there's no way they're going to be normal or anything like that. And you know what, I'm, 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 I'm learning, you know, I'm still always learning, but it's just, uh, it's just amazing, you know, that they come out and they're normal boys and girls, you know, and they just come out and they 
want to eat and poop and pee and cuddle mom and dad and normal typical kids just like uh you know my my three kids so, so they're boys and girls only well yeah i mean <laughs> scientifically we only have boys and girls i'm not going to get into anything else i'm just saying scientifically just when we're treating you in the medical field i'm just being funny yeah you know i mean that's that, that it sounds like the because i can't say the word the nicu is NICU. A, a little more emotionally demanding um, you know what? I thought so. I thought it was going to be in the beginning and, and you know, it has its moments to be honest with you. It, it really, really does have its moments. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Um, but it's, it's got a lot of high points. Like I, you think about it, you take a kid, you have them at 23 weeks. We have them usually till their gestational age. So at 40 weeks. So we have them almost 17 weeks, you know, and you just see the progressions and you just see them grow as, as little, little kids, little babies. You know what I mean? They come out and they're like two pounds, one, two, three pounds. And then they leave the NICU at, you know, six, seven, eight pounds and they're eating and they're drinking and they're not on oxygen anymore. They don't need a ventilator. And you know what I mean? Like it's, it's super rewarding. And and I thought it was going to be a lot harder than it is, but it's, it's honestly like, I, I really do really do appreciate the NICU. The PICU is where it's struggling, which P, PICU is pediatric intensive care unit. So there's three different ICUs. There's the NICU, which is neonatal intensive care unit. And then there's PICU, which is pediatric intensive care unit. And then there's the adult ICU, regular adult ICU. And I gotta tell you, I, I mean, I, uh, I, uh, I don't struggle with adults anymore. I, f I feel like, you know, you've had your life, you've had, you've made your decisions, you've made your beds, you get to lay in it now. And, you know, and, and I, I don't feel bad when something bad happens to, to an adult, but with, with a kid, like an innocent, you know, innocent, uh, um, you know, five, six, 18 month old, two year old, you know, it's, it's really, um, it's really sad. It, it, it takes a toll on you. So I, I enjoy pick you because I, at some levels, but in, in other levels, it's, it's really hard. I, uh, I can't get into like patient information or anything like that because of HIPAA or and I can't tell too many stories, you know, but I've had patients that I thought were worse for wear. Like I was just like, they came in and I was just like, Oh my gosh. Like, you know, it's super emotional. And you're just like, and I'm not an emotional person. You know, this dad, like <laughs> you didn't raise me to be an emotional person. And not a bad thing. I'm just saying like, you know, I'm just not. And, you know, when you have a little kid come in and you're just like, oh my God, like the survival rate of this is like 10%. And you're just like, what do we do? Like, you know what I mean? Like you're just 
super emotional, like upset about it. But at the same time, you, you know, you do your job, you know, we intubate them, place lines, do, do all the stuff that we got to do, you know, to stabilize them. And then, you know, it's just, it just takes time. And, and it's just, it's super hard to know what the outcome is really going to be like, are, are they going to be delayed? Are they going to have any, you know, new comorbidities is what it's called, but new ailments that, you know, changes their lives. Or what is this going to do to the parents? And, and as a parent myself, I'm just like, man, I, I couldn't imagine if this was my boy or my daughter sitting here, I'm just like, you know, and you try not to go there. You try and separate business from, from home life and, you know, work from home. And, but I gotta tell you, it's extremely hard, you know, and, and working in the hospital, I mean, it's, it's super rewarding, but at the same time, when they call in a, a, like a, a trauma or something like that, I'm like, okay, Jolene's at home. So we're good there. Lucy's at school. We're good there. The boys are at home with Jolene. I, I don't have anything to worry about you know, or if I know they're out and about and the trauma comes in of a car accident, I'm like, okay, where was this car accident at? Okay. They're on the other side of town. Perfect. I, I, I don't have anything to worry about. And then there's those times where they're in the same area and it just happens to be that chance. And, and you, I mean, healthcare workers, they just, it just happens. You just, you have a little bit of time, you, you're prepped, you're ready for them to come in, you know, and you just send that text message out. Hey, are you okay? I just want to check on you. Love you. Hope everything's okay. Let me know. And then you sit there and, and you know, like when you feel that vibration of the text back, it's like, or when they come in and it's not them, it's, you know, you can take a breath and you're just, but, but there's that moment of anxiety of like, okay, is this going to be somebody in my family or, you know, is this going to be somebody I know, you know, we live in a small little town now. Well, not, it's not so small anymore, but we live in a, relatively small town now and it's it's like it could be so so easily to know somebody you know would you say that it affects your judgment on the things that you let your boys do or and your daughter uh yes and no i mean so i grew up you, you know, you raised me, if you're going to put your leg over a bicycle or a motorcycle or anything, you know, even if you're just pulling it for out of the, out of the driveway into the garage, you put a helmet on, you know? So I've always been that way. And, you know, Casey, you tried to, you Johnson, tried to do it out. I know, but you know, Casey Johnson, that accident that happened and, and, you know, I was close with his family, Keith and, and the entire family and, and, you know, that makes it, you know, I, I still have, you know, I have a tattoo of him on my arm and I still remember him and I still remember the Keith and everybody and, and I have his shirts and stickers and, you know, his was a fluke accident and it's still like, it's, it can happen at any time. So why not take the precautions? But, you know, my wife, I love her to death, but she, she doesn't let me, she does, but she doesn't. So like I had an incident, a fluke accident, um, with, uh, choking. I, I can't give any more detail than that, but there was a fluke accident of something that came in. 
of a choking incident and relatively the same age as my oldest boy, Charles at the time. And, uh, it messed me up. It still does. Like I cut their food up extremely small because I don't want that to happen to my kid ever, you know? And, uh, it, still to this day when like my youngest boy Danny who just turned one yesterday Danny the third he will because he's just learning to chew and swallow you know he's been doing it for a couple months but you know he's just starting to get more real food and more stuff and and he will cough or gag on a on a on a piece of food and I'm like right there like patting him on the back like are we are we good like you look at him and he just smiles afterwards like oh yeah that was good you know but as a dad and knowing you know all every seeing the some of the stuff that i've seen it's it's really it's really taxing like it's really not taxing but it's really like stressful to you know see it be your own boy or you know like nothing compared to what actually you know goes on or what i see but at the same point you still have that what if or when they get sick you know like you have that okay so this not color means this this means this you know what i mean like you play it in your in your head and uh you know charles was super sick a, a couple months ago and uh god he was pale and modeled modeled means like you could see his veins and he was just pale and he wouldn't eat or drink or do anything. And he was, he's, he, I thought he had croup ended up being, he had walking pneumonia with, with croup as well, but he had the seal bark, which is common for croup. And he, uh, Jolene called me and she's like, I, I can't, he won't stop coughing. I can't get him. He's like, he's getting paler and paler. I'm like, you got to bring him in. And when she did, it was really hard to step back as dad and not be RT and not try and dictate what was going on with the doctors and stuff. And so that was really hard because I was at work and uh, my work was really cool. And I, I got to go down and see him and check on him and, and everything. And so, but it's, it's really hard to, to separate that too. Cause you, you know, it could turn into something worse. And I don't know, you just play that stuff in your head. It, it sucks to do it, but at the same time you're, you do. But on the other hand, I, I don't really let it affect. I let my boys ride their bikes. I mean, we were at Jolene, my wife's parents' house and they have a big hill and I let my boy ride his bicycle down the hill. And, you know, he crashed the first time and I'm like, all right, you got to do it again, dude. And he went up to the top of the hill and he rode down it and he was having a blast. You know, I still let, I'm still teaching my daughter how to ride a quad and, you know, and dirt bikes and, you know, and, and, but yeah, I mean, you just, you gotta let it go. You know what I mean? I can't put them in a bubble as much as I want to and never let have anything happen to them at the same time that it's not going to teach them anything, you know? And I let Charles, my oldest boy, he learns the hard way a lot. Oh, hey, don't God. touch that. Like his dad. 
Hey, look, I can tell stories for days from grandpa about you as a kid. I was angel. Yeah, so, that's why when anything needed to be done, you were in there playing with your cars on the back of the toilet. <laughs> you know, there are certain things you're not supposed to talk about. Um, <laughs> so, so beings that when I raised you, and I know that that's a different angle and perspective on how the converse, conversation is supposed to go. I never, I was very lucky. I was very blessed. I was very fortunate. I didn't really worry about you or your sister. I always knew that you were going to be okay. You know, even in the first turn in Arizona, you know, crashed. I just knew that, you know, my first reaction was to pick you up and walk you back to the motorhome, sit you down and get a cold drink in you and, and you'd have been fine. And, and you probably would have. But, you know, the, the, I guess that's why you don't let dad make all the decisions or mom make all the decisions uh, when it is a critical situation. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would have been fine, but, you three know. Later, you were riding again. Come on. Dude, three weeks later again, you were telling me I I didn't have a choice. I no, I didn't tell you you had a choice. Uh, yeah, exactly. You didn't tell me that I had a choice. You <laughs> said there's a race in three weeks. Let's go. And it was three weeks after I got out of the hospital, and I was in the hospital for a week. Well, you know what's your point? Yeah, I had tire marks going across the back of my head. I, you know, what's funny is, is Ethan, my my nephew, your grandson wore the helmet that I broke my back with that I, and it's still twisted. I hit the ground so hard. I twisted an O'Neill helmet, which is a good helmet. It twisted it. You set it down and it is completely twisted. The visors broke. It is messed up. I still, I found all of the, the chest protector that I loved that they cut off of me and all the riding pants and everything. And my wife looked at me and she goes, why the heck do you keep all this stuff? And I'm like, dude, that's a good memory. She was really, that's a good memory. I'm like, yeah, it, it honestly was. It's a good story. That kid walking up to me at the starting line and tell him, asking me if I had ever been helicoptered, telling me that he got life flighted out of there the, a couple of weeks beforehand, but he's fine now, you know, and he's got that a sling on and a bunch of stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And then, you know, he's like, hey, can I get a pair of goggles after the race or something? I figured what he asked me. Um, exactly. And then the next, you know, five minutes later, I'm freaking in a helicopter out of there. I'm like, oh, well, this is fantastic. Yeah, they wouldn't let me ride with you. Well, yeah, I was on a helicopter. Well, yeah, I was a little, yeah. I was a little pissed about that. Because they didn't yeah. tell where exactly to go. You know, I figured it out and got there. And- so I shout out to St. Joseph's hospital in Phoenix, Arizona, <clears throat> actually been one of my, uh, dream hospitals to work at because, um, they took such good care of me, you know, and, and the paramedics came back and checked on me a couple times, you know, and it was, it was cool. Like, I mean, I'll never forget when grandma Robin took me to my first appointment afterwards, after I got out of the hospital <laughs> and the doctor walks in and a millimeter over and you'd be paralyzed for the rest of your life. 
And I'm like, oh, shit. And Grandma Robin just... Grandma Robin, just her eyes got big and she was like, you need to stop this. I'm like, Grandma, I need a new steering stem. Can you help me out? <laughs> uh. was, I mean, there are portions of the story that I didn't, that I didn't get um, because, you know, there was a little bit of a divide there. Um, yeah. But it was your mother's wedding shower the bridal shower yeah the day that happened that night it was going on it was in the middle of it because it was a night race yep she was, it was in the middle of it she was oh, not yeah deeper. she's grandma robin is still mad that you didn't tell you told her that he ah, he'll be out in a day or two it's fine and then six days later I still wasn't discharged and she is still to this day mad that you told her that eh, he's fine. It'll just be a day or so. And then I was in the hospital for a week and she is still to this day. And your father, he, he didn't even, he told us you were going to be out and you were fine. And then a week later, we still hadn't seen you. He goes, she was like, I would have driven out there that night. <laughs> I would have been right there, right then. Well, when I told you you were fine the night of the nurses didn't really like that either. You didn't tell me that you're fine. You told me if you ever scare me like that again, I'm going to kick your ass. What? I think were your exact words. And there was a few extra choice words in there. And I was talking to you. You were out of scared, out of out of fear. And then they sent CPS in. <laughs> Are you sure this happened on a motorcycle? Yes, you guys picked me up off the track. Does your dad beat you? No, he does not. <laughs> does your dad verbally abuse you? Abuse you? No, he does not. Thank you. Are you in fear for your life whenever you're with your dad? No, I am not. You, you gotta realize my dad said this out of fear. He was probably shitting a brick that his son just got life flooded to the hospital, and the hospital is three hours away, and he has no communication with anybody. Yeah, you know, your uncle and I, I think we talked on the phone maybe maybe three times that whole time the whole time we were in the i was in the hospital yeah i think we the day the the weekend that we were driving back he was i talked to him more then than i did any other time you know he, to this day he's never brought it up yeah you know you know you know your your uncle i mean you miss half an hour he's freaking on you and uh Never you take, take a poop break and he you yeah. owe me 15 minutes. <laughs> never is ever, ever. I mean, he's he's got on me about a couple of things that where I missed work, but never did he ever say a word about that. I mean, yeah, I don't know no. topic, but uh yes, that hospital was pretty awesome. Um, they did take really good care of you. Um, it was kind of crazy. Uh, I mean, I didn't know that when you go to the hospital um, or especially that kind of hospital, you know, I'm sitting there and the lady freaking is trying to feed me lunch, you know, and I'm like, well, yeah, no, that, she goes, yeah, that's, that's how we do it here. You know, it's, it's a, what do you call it, Danny, when they're, because you were still a child, even though you're a child. Guardian. Guardian or parent. No, I mean, what kind of hospital do they, do they call that? Because it's like oh, Rady, pediatric hospital. Yeah, it's like Rady's Children's, where yeah, you know, parents are taking care of as well as the as well as the kids. And, 
Um, well, that's one thing cool about radius too. I mean, to just talk about radius itself is, so we have a radius center within um, our hospital and they come, they cook food for everybody. They, they have rooms for the parents to stay in and, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's awesome. You know, it's, it's definitely that the hospital is, you know, got good and bad to it, you know, everywhere. I would say at the hospital I'm at now, like I have one of the best managers I've ever had in my entire life and just a mentor and leader and just her, her name's Christy. And she, I mean, she's helped me grow not only as a therapist, as a respiratory therapist, but as like a, a, a person, you know what I mean? Like a parent, she's, she's just, she's, uh, I, I don't even know how to explain it, but she's just, she's really, really, really good manager. And, you know, and it, it's, it really is true that people leave management and don't leave jobs, you know, like it, it honestly is because I can tell you that I can go through one health storm at the hospital that I'm at. And I know it's okay because I have really good leadership and I don't have to question anything. I know at the end of the day, a we're, we're all a close knit family anyways. And B I know that my manager, if even if I did something wrong, she's going to help me learn from it and not, not, uh, not punish me for it. You know what I mean? And that's, I think that that's the difference. I, I, and, you know, I've been reading a lot about leadership and studying leadership a lot. And, you know, um, there is a lot of great leaders out there that you can read from. I know you listen to Jocko a lot and Jocko's great. Um, my favorite personally is, is major Dick winners, um, from the story band of brothers. I don't know. A lot of people have probably seen that. But uh, there, he has two books that he wrote himself about, you know, his life and leadership. And, you know, it's called Conversations with, with Dick Winters. And, uh, you know, and his famous quote that he loves the, to do, which is an army quote, is he says, follow me. You know, instead of, instead of somebody just telling you what to do, you say, look, follow me. And that's something that Christy does very naturally. I, I don't know. I'm sure she's taking classes on it and stuff like that, but she's very much follow me. I'm going to show you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to coach you. I'm going to lead by example. You know what I mean? And it's not do as I do. It's do, or it's not do as I say, it's do as I do. And, and you know, that that's, that's huge. Like I want to implement that with my kids too. I, I don't want to, you know what I mean? It, you know, I want them to do as I do, not necessarily always have to do as I say. And I think that that's huge. And I think that she just, she makes it better. I've worked in some crappy hospitals with some crappy managers and I've worked other places with crappy managers and good managers too, you know, and, 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 uh, and uh, it, it really makes a difference and it makes it easy and respiratory as a whole, like we're, we're super close. I mean, it, it's almost like one of those things where like a little brother, you know, a little brother, brothers and sisters, like 
I can talk crap about them, but you better not say anything, you know, type of thing. And it's just, it's very, you know, it's, it's good. I mean, we're as a whole in the United States of America, we're short staffed on respiratory therapists and, you know, so I, I encourage everybody to go out there and go to Idaho state university and get their respiratory therapy program. And, and, uh, come join us and it's 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 super awesome i mean you can go from your day can can change so fast you can go from giving a breathing treatment to somebody to going down to the er to intubating somebody which is you put a tube down their down their throat and through their soft or sorry and through their epiglottis and run it into their lungs and you're breathing for them completely and they're unconscious and or to, you know, going to help a kid walk and for the first time after being on a ventilator and, you know, they're on oxygen and you got to help them walk and gain strength and you got to control their oxygen or they're on a high flow or, you know, it's just, it changes so much. You can, you can just learn and see so much as an RT that you don't necessarily get to see as a nurse. Like I respect nurses. I think that they're fantastic, but you know, the first person that they call when anything goes wrong is the respiratory therapist, especially if it's breathing. You know, we go to every code, which is where somebody is in cardiac arrest and every met code, which is a medical emergency team. We're part of all of those, you know, so code blues, met codes, rapid response teams, whatever it's called differently in in different places. And, you know, you, it could be a rapid response could be anywhere from somebody falling down and they need help picking the patient up and checking them out to somebody struggling to breathe, you know, um, having, having a flash pulmonary edema is a big one that where they lay a CHF or flat and they get a bunch of fluid in their lungs and you got to go in there and you put them on a machine called a BiPAP. Most people would, I guess, consider it a CPAP. Everybody, you know, your grandpa at home wears a CPAP at night and it helps them breathe because they have sleep apnea. Well, this is a different, it's, it's two levels and it pushes a bunch of pressure in there and it helps push the fluid out of your lungs, but it saves you from getting intubated and, you know, having that tube go through your vocal cords into your lungs and, and, uh, and it's uncomfortable as hell, but it's not as uncomfortable as having a tube down your throat. I can promise you that, you know, it's way more comfortable than the permanent response to being dead. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. And you, I mean, you could be at a, I, me personally, because I work NICU, PICU and adult ICU. I mean, I've had days where I started off the morning in a delivery helping another RT on a, a delivery of twins, you know, and stabilizing the twins after birth and, and then going up and going into a, the pediatric unit and walking a kid that had just got extubated to, you know, extubating an adult to, you know, breathe on their own for the first time in two weeks, you know, all in one day. I mean, and it's, and it, not every day is like that, obviously. Some days are hell and some days are great, you know, and some days are, you know, a combination of the two. And some days you're bored and some days you're busy and you don't know what to do with yourself. And 
<clears throat> and you know, it's, it's definitely a really, really cool field and definitely really interesting. Um, I, uh, let me go back in time with you a little bit. Don't lose your train of thought there. <clears throat> Granted, I know more about your life than most people, but, um, you went into the military for a little while and you were injured and you came home and, and you were kind of lost as, as a father, as you were growing up, I would say that was probably the time in your life when I worried the most about what direction you were going to go and, and, and where you were going to land and how you were going to do things and how you were going to make it in life. Did you ever, during that time when you left the military to graduating RT school, did you ever dream that you would be where you are today? No. Um, military is a sore subject. Um, no, I mean, I, I, you can remember this. I mean, Max I was Lord? 10 years old. Is, your Lord, is that why it's a sore subject? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, I mean, I remember being 10 years old and asking, begging you and mom to send me to military school. That's all I'd ever wanted to do my entire life. I wanted to be an airborne ranger or a Navy SEAL. I mean, you can attest to that. I, at 10 years old, I begged you, begged you, please send me to military school. Please send me, please. That's all I want to do. And you and mom, I mean, made the wrong decision and didn't send me, but you know, and uh, when I got hurt in the military, I didn't cry the entire time going through basic or AIT or anything. And the only time I cried was when they told me, hey, sorry, we're, we're going to medically discharge you. Here you go. Bye-bye. You can try and rejoin within six months. And if your back's all healed and you feel okay, we can get you some waivers and you can come back in. And... Uh, you know, I strive for that. And I, I worked really hard with physical therapy and, and with, uh, everything. I worked out every day with Sergeant Puckett, which was my recruiter at the time before I went, ever went in my whole senior year of high school, I would meet him at, uh, 24 hour fitness at four or five o'clock in the morning. We would work out in the morning and then I would meet him that night and we would go work out again at night. And, and I, I, I mean, I would say I was in the best shape of my entire life. I worked really hard, really, really hard to a get in and b maintain. And, uh, then I worked even harder after I got out to try and go back in. I mean, I, 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 uh, I got all the way to MEPS is where you go into step into the military and officially, you know, raise your right hand, put it on, or raise your hand and put your other hand on the Bible and swear your allegiance to the country. You know, I can't remember which hand goes on the Bible and which hand goes up. I think the left hand on the Bible, right hand up. I can't remember. I got pictures of it somewhere. Um, and, uh, uh, the Friday night, as you know, before I was supposed to, go back into the military. I got hit by a drunk driver on the driver's side door and dislocated my hip and messed up my back a little bit more. And, and yeah, I was, I was completely devastated. I was lost. I was 
I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. The one thing that I had ever wanted to do um, had been ripped away from me. And, and, and it was honestly, it's, it's, it sucked because like, I didn't even have to be driving right there. What we were at a friend's house. One of my friends that lived on the other side of town, he wanted to go home at the same time as me. The other person that was with him didn't, or that was supposed to drive him home, didn't want to go home yet. And so me being who I am, I was like, dude, I'll drive you home. No problem. I drove him home and I was on my way home to your house. Um, and, uh, lady ran the red light or a dude ran a red light. I can't remember. And, uh, 60 miles an hour T-boned me. And I remember being fuzzy when we were on the scene. Like, I don't remember much of the night other than grandpa Danny, um, staying up with me all night. Cause he was worried about me going to sleep. It's probably the smart move because I was, like I said, I don't remember much of it, but I remember refusing to get in the ambulance telling him, yeah, I'm hurt, but I'll be fine. I'm going back in the military on Monday. I can't afford to be hurt. You know, if I, if I am hurt, they're not going to let me rejoin to Sunday. I, I worked at Vaughn's at the time and, uh, bagging somebody's groceries. And I, the paint, I don't know if it, what it was, about being there, but I took a step and the pain set in. I don't know what happened, but I like collapsed at work. And I, I just, I ended up going home and then I went to the doctor the next day and I had, you know, I'd slipped my discs, two discs in my back beforehand in the military. And then I'd, I'd bulged a bunch of discs around my back and they couldn't, they kept looking at my back because I didn't, I didn't know that my hip was the issue because I just thought it was all my back. I, I didn't know anything about medical. I didn't know anything. I didn't know to tell them like my hip on the outside and my hip on the inside hurts when I walk and stuff like that. I just kept telling them my lower back, my lower back. And, and, uh, I was actually at physical therapy and the PT doc looks at me and goes, Hey, have your legs always been different dimensions? I'm like, not, not that I know of. Nobody's ever told me that. And he's like, because they're significantly different. And this was like two, two months after my accident. And he's like, they're significantly different. Like, I think we need to get an x-ray of your hip. Check it out. And uh, I went to the doctor the next day or something like that. He called the doctor, got me an x-ray and set it all up. Sure shit, my hip was dislocated. Walked around for two months with a dislocated hip. <laughs> And even after that, I was like determined to try and get back into the military. And, and I, uh, I tried and tried and tried. I couldn't get back in shape and I'm still fat and out of shape now, but, um, no, you're in shape. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so it was, it was devastating. It honestly, it's still, you can ask my wife, I talk about, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to try and rejoin as an RT because they finally have RT positions open and I can use my brain instead of my bronze when I'm in, you know, but I can still be a part of the military. I, you know, like what I did wasn't enough. It didn't, didn't scratch that itch. You know, I, 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 I really, that's all I want to do. And, and what's so funny about it is my wife, when we first met, told me I would never date or marry somebody who was in the military. 
I don't want that lifestyle for me or my kids. I don't want to have to move every four years or anything like that. And I was like, oh, well, that's all I've ever wanted. And then we fell in love and, you know, we're made, we, obviously I'm not in now, but we, I mean, if I was in, we'd make it work, you know, that's just who she is. But, and then I, uh, I was, I was partying a lot and doing stupid stuff. And then mom actually told me, um, Hey, look, you're either going to go to school or go to work. I don't care which one you do, but either way you're going to do it or we're done. Grandma's not, my grandmother was helping me at the time. Cause I, I couldn't work essentially because I was in physical therapy two, three days a week and finding a job that's going to work around that. And I had other doctor's appointments and I was messed up for a little bit there. Um, my hip kept popping out of place and stuff because they waited too long. Well, I, we didn't know they didn't wait too long, but they didn't know that it was dislocated. And so it was, you know, it was just interesting. Uh, and, uh, so then I started going to college and I just took stupid classes I didn't care about. And I was like, Oh, well maybe a firefighter is a badass. Maybe I can go be a firefighter. Not thinking, Hey dummy, the military won't accept you. Neither will the fire department. <laughs> you can't, if you can't run, Cause you're in too much pain. And I, and back then I thought, you know what, a couple months I'll be able to run. I'll be able to do everything that I used to do and everything. And you know what? Still to this day, if I run, it hurts. It hurts more probably now cause I have more weight on me, but even, you know, so I took an EMT course cause that was part of the prerequisites to get into, uh, be a paramedic. And I loved it. I got um, an A plus in the class and I just, I loved it. So I was actually going to go to school to be a nurse and the nursing programs, all of them in San Diego had a five-year waiting list. I was like, man, I don't feel like waiting five years to do something. And I just looked up other medical field jobs and stuff like that. And they had x-ray and, a couple other things and then I found respiratory therapy and I was like I can check this out so I went to the school and here we are and it's I'm, I'm, turned out to be a very prestigious career yeah um, I wouldn't say prestigious but I mean it's a good it's a good career I mean we're not as cool as nurses if you ask some people but you know I wasn't asking. It's, 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 it's honestly been good. It's, it really has. It's, um, I really in, enjoy it. And I, uh, <clears throat> I really enjoy teaching too now. And I'm going to, uh, do some more teaching here soon. And so I said, go to Idaho state university, throwing that out there again. Um, cause I'm going to be teaching there. What plugs? Shameless plugs. Yeah. Um, and uh, I look forward to it. I, I can't wait. It's a new. So I've done some education stuff, and I, you know, we get new ventilators and stuff, which is the machine that breathes for you when you have the tube in your mouth or in 
and your tracheostomy and stuff. And, and, uh, I've done some vent studies with Drager, which is one of the vent companies. And we go, when we got Dragers in our hospital, I, <clears throat> I did some education stuff for the hospital for it. And, and, uh, I, I really love teaching. I, I do. I, I'm not, uh, as much as a people person, I guess I would say with dealing with, I mean, it's, it's obviously nobody wants to be in the hospital and nobody wants to get sick or have a loved one sick and stuff like that. And I, uh, I shouldn't say I'm not a people person cause I love talk. I talk to everybody, but meaning like, I don't necessarily like the, I, I don't know how to explain it. Dealing with family members. Like I, some of them are amazing, but it's really hard to be put in that situation where they ask you a question, like what's the chances of them making it? And you, you got to look at them and be like, you got to ask the doctor. And they're like, look, we asked the doctor. The doctor said there's like a half a percent of them making it. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. You can't say that. You're just like, look, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I, I, I think you're holding on for hope, or I think they're going to make it like, you know what I mean? You can't say that stuff because you can't overstep the doctor and, and you know not that i would want to or anything but it's just it's hard dealing with that much emotion i should say all the time because there's so much like if it's a kid there's high emotions because it's a kid and there's high emotions for me because it's a kid if it's somebody's parent or kid them or like a, a young adult and they have kids there's emotion there so there's just like so much emotions and I kind of had a cold father who never taught me how to deal with my emotions. Oh, <laughs> um, I try to deal with them. Stuff those real down deep and don't show them. Hey, real men don't cry. Dude, you used to tell me, I tell my kids this all the time just to mess with them when they're crying. Duncan's don't cry. <laughs> we just don't. <laughs> my daughter gets so mad. She's just like, I know, stop. Like, Duncan's don't cry, dude. Stop. We don't cry. If you want to carry my last name, you, you can't You can't cry. She just gets so mad. It's funny. I love it. I say it as a joke more than anything, but, you know. I, no. I, what? I never stopped you from crying. Oh. Dude, I remember being out when I raised BMX. I raced BMX and we had the jump that grandpa and I built in the driveway and we had measured it out. It was like, it was a wood ramp and I was jumping and I was jumping over these uh, two by fours that we had set up in the driveway and we got out to like 12 feet and I was like pedaling as hard as I could. And you wanted me to go two foot further. And I was like, I'm not ready to go two foot further. I was like eight, nine years old at this point. And I remember starting to like, cry up and you're like look stop right now i ain't dealing with that i'm going inside and you pick up the mess yourself and do it all yourself i'm i'm not dealing with you crying we, we just i'm not we don't we don't cry if you don't want to do it that's fine we can pick up the mess and we can call it good but don't sit here and cry there's nothing to cry over and i still remember to this day like looking up at you like yeah you're right it's probably not a reason to cry over but at the time it was like I, it was life or death to me at that point i was like if I crash, I'm going to die. You know, not real. 
not really realistic. I mean, there's a chance, but you make me I, sound, you make me sound like a hard ass. No, I would say I was raised right. I would say I'm. I uh, I I I joke and play and fun have fun with it, but I really do appreciate the way I was raised, and I was raised to work hard, work harder than try and work harder than everybody around you, study harder than everybody around you, and uh, control your emotions. I don't I don't say that in a, in a bad way, you know. Like I I think that uh, that that's a good thing. I mean, one of my favorite quotes. I don't know if if people have seen the movie Active Valor. There is there's some stuff and some speeches in there. And one of them is, is the, the most dangerous man is a man who can control his emotions. And I, and I really think that that is true because, you know, you, you gotta be able to control your emotions. Do I all, all the time? No, but I feel like I, I try to, you know, and your, your especially. best of anything I think is, is when you're calm and relaxed and, and, you know, the, the top of the pond is glass and smooth and, and the duck's just floating around and underneath that duck is just going like hell to, to keep afloat or to get where it needs to go. And, um, racers racing world that we come from, uh, you can see it in the eyes. And when the, when, when you look in somebody's eyes, their soul gives it away, you know, that they're, that they're dancing. And uh, they're nervous, or or the pterodactyls in their stomach are, are getting the better of them. Um, yeah, you, you know when you look in when you look in a specific individual's eyes when you're when you're dealing with situations in life, you know the, the, there's people and you stare into their eyes and it's and it's just nothing but focus and intent. Um, those are the people that you want because they're going to get the job done, regardless of the situation and how. Um, scary, emotional, negative it is, they're focused and and they're going to attack it. And, you know, I've been blessed to work in the ATV world my entire life. You know, my father uh, started me in it when I was super young, which you know. And uh, we've gotten to, we've gotten to enjoy our life in our, in our industry. Um, And I've never I've never been in a situation where I had to save somebody's life or had to make decisions for their life. I know that I had to make sure the wheels were tight and the brakes worked and that the controls functioned so that the individual riding the machine could, could be safe and, and healthy. But, um, I never had to, I never had to be the guy to, um, to save a life. And I just want to say how proud I am as a, as a dad, that you have chosen that path and how proud I am as a, as just a human being to know that there are men and women out there like you sacrificing of yourself to make sure the rest of us are healthy and safe. Yeah. I, I think with the medical field, it, it, it is, you have to stay calm, you know? And that's one thing that I will say that I, I didn't lose. I didn't learn that in the military, I didn't learn that in the respiratory field or anything like that. I learned that at home with you and, uh, not always. I mean, you know, obviously emotions get the best of everybody occasionally, but 
you know, like that we were talking about, you know, I want to be that demonstration for my kids and, you know, it was always focus, you know what I mean? And that's one thing that you have to have. If you're focused, you're calm. If you're not focused, you're not calm and you're panicking because you're thinking, Oh crap. I, I don't remember if I did this, but if you're focused, you're like, no, I checked this, 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 and this. And then I rechecked this, 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 and this, and you're prepared. And there's nothing to stress about because you know what? You, you, you are prepared. You are prepared 100% to the best of your ability to take care of that person. And I take that <clears throat> into 95% of situations. Cause there's always that, those situations that come up that you're just like, you know, it's an emergency. I mean, they, they come in and you're like, you have to do a quick assessment and then figure out what you got to do, work with the nurses and doctors and everything and, and get it done, you know? And there's those 5% of times where it's an emergency and you're like, Oh crap, I didn't check a, B and C because I or twice because I had to hurry up and get this done. I checked it once. I hope it's good. I'm sure it is because everything in the medical field, even though it doesn't expire, has an expiration date. And not everything doesn't expire, but you know what I mean? Like the plastic tubes that we put in people and stuff like that. It just, it doesn't really expire, but you, it has an expiration date and you check that and you, you know, you make sure for us when you put the tube in that the balloons are good and <clears throat> you make sure everything's prepared and everything and you do it as quickly as possible because most of the time it's in an emergency. And I would get, when I first started being an RT, I would get, you know, like, I have to double check. I have to double check. I have to double check. And there's not always time for that. And so now I've just become very efficient with my checks. You know, like when we talked about uncle Warren being super meticulous, you just are super meticulous with your checks and how you set things up. And then, and then it, it helps, you know, I work with a doctor named Dr. Cheatham and he works down in the NICU and, and he was, I had never intubated a baby. And so I was, I was nervous and you know what? He just took me aside and said, Hey, dude, relax. We're not intubating emergently. We have to give this medication called surfactant. When you're born, you can have a surfactant deficiency. And when you have that deficiency, you don't have enough lubricant in your lungs. So you need <clears throat> to get surfactant to help lubricate so you can oxygenate. So he just pulled me aside. He's like, look, he goes, let's take this step by step. He goes, we're giving surfactant. The baby's stable on a lot of oxygen, which is not good for the baby. But it's not going to affect anything if we take an extra two, three minutes here and go step by step. He goes, I want you calm. Because if you're not calm, you're not going to get it. So let's go through the steps. Let's go through the equipment. Let's go through the steps. Let's talk about it. Let's walk through it before we start doing it. And he did. He was super calm. And he walked me through step by step. And you know what? I got the intubation. First ever time intubating a baby and I got it. Which intubating a baby is super hard. And intubating an adult is hard, but it's not as hard as a baby because of the anatomy of everything being so small, so much smaller. And then just a little bit, same location, but just a little bit different on how you do it and technique and stuff. And, and, and that was nice. And, and you know what helped me is he was completely calm. And he looked at me and goes, dude, if you don't get it, I'm going to get it. So don't worry about it. Let's just take this nice one step at a time. He's like, all right. 
take the blade, put it in your hand. Okay. You're, what hand are you going to do it with? You're going to do it with your left, correct? Yes. I mean, I, you always, because you always hold the blade and you put it in your mouth with the left and you pull up and then you put the tube in with your right. <clears throat> okay. So let's check the light because it has a light on it. Okay. Check the light. Let's check your tube. Let's check your stylet positioning. Let's check everything. Let's make sure you have an entitled CO2, which is how you check for intubations immediately. Because if you, you can intubate the stomach. So let's make sure we have that. Let's make sure we have suction bag, which we had everything laid out, but it was just, it was nice to take a step back and go calm and just meticulously check everything, you know, and knowing your equipment, like knowing your equipment is huge. Like you have to know in the intubation box where everything is in the crash cart, where everything is, you, you just need to know all of that, you know, and, and really study it. And so it's it's just nice when you have a doctor like Dr. Cheatham or, or in the NICU world and Dr. Cheney in the adult world. He's been amazing too. And so it's just nice to have that. So what are the odds of, of you fulfilling your promise? What promise is that? You know, we're the only one that, that I've ever, the only time that I've ever held you to something that you've told me. Me becoming a doctor. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, realistically break it down for me so that. Okay. So let's be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm turning 30 in a couple months. Okay. If I was to even get into medical school right now, and if I was going to become a doctor, I'd want to become an intensivist, an ICU doc, either NICU or adult ICU. And uh, that would be four years of medical school four years of residency and then four years of fellowship for me to become an intensivist. Plus I have to take multiple board certifications within that time frame, And, and I would go into a million dollars in debt, if not more. So for me to become a medical doctor, like we talked about, not going to happen. I got, I got a, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Well, almost three-year-old and a one that turned one yesterday. And I got a nine-year-old daughter. I, I do not want to take away from them. I, while I got to go with you a lot of times, I don't want to miss on, out on anything. Then my kids are the most important thing to me, and my wife, of course, too. But I want to be there be present, you know, and play with them and watch them grow. And, you know, if I started now, I would finish when Charles is, you know, 15 years old, which would be great. But when I first coming out of medical school, you work nonstop, you know, like when you finish your fellowship, you, you just, you, you have a shiz ton of debt and you have to work a ton. You have to, you know what I mean? So it's not, not realistic. But to become, to get my doctorate, whether I get it in business or um, science or anything like that, or, or a PhD, um, uh, that's more likely. I, uh, I would love to first start with getting my MBA and then transitioning from there and working on you know, 
finishing up that way and then going into deciding what I want to go to my doctorate for and going that way, but which is still technically, you're still a doctor. You're just not a medical doctor. So I don't know if that would satisfy you. I my promise. Want, or I just want you happy. I was just putting you on the spot because I can. Yeah. No, and I, and I am. I, I, uh, I went from never wanting kids to having three and I love my kids more than anything in the world. Um, My wife had our daughter and then we had two boys. And I mean, last night they left this morning to go on vacation. And and last night, our youngest baby Danny, um, he got up in the middle of the night and he woke up in the middle of the night and I got up with him and, I was rocking him and he just wasn't falling asleep and I was falling asleep. So I laid him in bed with us and he crawled over and snuggled into my chest and fell straight asleep and did not move the rest of the night, sat there and slept on me and snored and snuggled the crap out of me. And you know what? I woke up a happy dad. I I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I I don't even know how to explain it. I woke up this morning. I got to look at my wife and be like, look who we chose last night. <laughs> Not really, but you know, like I got to, you know, enjoy that. And I, I, I really enjoy it. Charles loves working on anything and everything that I do. So, you know, I, I don't let him work on it, a lot of stuff, but you know, he'll come up to my garage door that's in my living room and tap on the garage door and go, daddy, let's go work on something. And I'm like, I got nothing for us to work on right now. Let's let's go. Let's go work on something. And I'm like, all right, and we'll go out there. And he wants to go through the toolbox. And he's obsessed with screwdrivers. Like his favorite thing in the world is screwdrivers. He'll walk out there and I have this big display of, you know, cheap screwdrivers that I can screw, you know, the door handles back in with, just, you know, and fix stuff around the house with. And snap on stuff's in the in the drawer and he'll go he'll come out and he'll go screwdriver screwdriver me my screwdriver please and i'm like all right whatever and i give him a screwdriver and he we have a hose that winds up into a big container i don't i don't know what you call it <clears throat> um and he got a new pretend tool set and he sat in the top of that thing because the hose was all the way wound out and it got rewound in wrong so it like skipped a loop so it threw it off and i had mentioned something about oh i gotta go fix that hose meaning i gotta pull it out and try and re reline it up and everything and he sat in the top of that thing inside the box for like an hour pretending like he would tap it with a hammer here. He would screw it with the fake screwdriver here. He would grab his wrench and start wrenching this just for like, I'm not kidding you for like 40 minutes. And then he all fixed dad gets out and sets his toolbox down and comes in and he's like me hungry. He sits down and eats and drinks and watches his little cartoon. I mean, he's, he's three years old and he's just, he's just loves it. And that, that honestly makes my day more than anything. I mean, I, you know, my daughter, 
I, I, I had my nephews and stuff up here up in Idaho this week and uh I my daughter and shoots a bow and a bow and arrow a compound bow and um we got her lessons and I taught her a little and you know I was just learning at the same time and stuff too and I had my two nephews up here you know they're eight and 12 years old my nine-year-old you know the 12-year-old was getting all cocky Ethan he was like yeah let's make it a competition first one to get a bullseye blah 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 you know, and Lucy hasn't shot in at least six months, I would say. Um, and I have an archery range in my backyard. And uh, Wyatt shot first, which is the eight-year-old. He did. He did good. You know, he did. He did good. I'm not. He had, it was. The, I think it was the first time he had ever shot a bow, so he did great. And then Lucy went next because I made him go in age order, and Lucy let go of the first shot. Bullseye. Ethan's mouth just went <gasps> dropped and he was just like, it was, it was luck. And my target, it has a bullseye in the middle and then bullseye up top all the way around the circle. She goes, Oh yeah, Ethan <laughs> drops one in the other bullseye. And he's just like, I, I don't want a competition anymore. I, I I'm, I'm good. <laughs> and and my daughter, I mean, I love her to death. She is a little cocky, but so so is Ethan. And and, and she she just, I think it upset her that he was like, "I'm gonna out shoot you" type of thing. She's like, "This is my bow. This is my range. You are not gonna out shoot me." So she went out there and she did. She laid it down. She had a grouping. I mean, if you know anything about archery, it's you know, or shooting, it's you want to get it in the smallest possible hole or group as possible and she she rocked it dude she went out there and she showed those boys what's up and i was a proud dad and she she did she was super super stoked and she came back and she was smiling but she was all serious when she was shooting she got her stance right did her breathing focused and and she got to go back i mean probably I don't know, 20 yards, 25 yards. And I made the boys stay up closer because they weren't, they weren't hit. I mean, it was the first time they had shot a bow. So I didn't, I made them go 10 to 15 yards and they couldn't hit the bullseye. And she was freaking rocking it at 25 yards. And Ethan's like, can I step back? I'm like, you hit a bullseye. You can take a step back. He got lucky and hit one and he took a couple steps back. And, you know, it was just, I just, I really enjoy that stuff, you know, or, that's awesome. So, and well, I can't talk, wait for my boys to get older. We could talk dad, grandpa stuff all day long. But yeah, son, I I really want to say thank you for spending the time with me and talking about your career. Um, our lives are not full enough with people that are doing things that promote humanity. Yeah, bring us all to a higher level. And I know that I'm just in an ATV industry. Um, I don't see it as, as exalting in any way or uplifting the humanity. Um, we get to go play in the dirt and have a great time. Um, but people such as yourself that are dedicating your life to saving humanity and, and, and bringing us back from the brink and our bad decisions. I just want to say, I really appreciate you. And I really appreciate you taking the time to explain some of that to us. And 
I hope that the listeners enjoy it as much as I have. Obviously, I'm I'm biased, I'm prejudiced because you are my son, and I do get to be proud um, to present you to the world um, and and to our listeners on ATV Talk. Yeah, thank you for uh, having me. Um, I will say that uh, you know, if you guys are ever out in Idaho and need to go to a hospital. Eastern Idaho Regional Medical Center is where I work, and you won't find a, a better group of people. And it starts with the top down, with the CEO, COO, everybody. I mean, I've never worked in a in a place where you know they walk around and the CEO on any day can walk around and walk up to you and be like, "Hey, how you doing? Do you need anything?" And I'm just like, "Whoa!" You know, and my manager and everybody is really amazing, and you know. So if you're ever out in Idaho, it's, it's a beautiful place too. Uh, don't come during the winter if you don't like the cold, but I won't be seeing it you. Is. I won't be seeing you in the winter. Okay. I love you, but I'm not coming in the winter. Oh, stop. You got to put your big boy panties on and take those little girl panties off and come out here and okay. we can go snowmobiling. I've never been, but I would love to go. No, hopefully uh, Doug Gust invited me out this winter, so I'm hopefully going to go out there and do it. Uh, you I will know, be jealous if I you wanna, go do it with Doug Gust. I will. I got to go do it and and learn, you know, from a guy like of his caliber. So then I can come back and teach you, you know. <laughs> I don't think you could learn what he knows in a day or a weekend. That takes 20 years to learn, just like, you know. I get that. I get that. But, I, I just want to go hang out with Doug. He, I mean, I have his jersey hanging along my wall in my garage. I just want to go hang out with him. He's, you know, he's been this like myth, mythical creature, like, you know, my entire life in the ATV industry. And I've met him, obviously, you know, I got autographed jerseys of his. I've had conversations with him, but I've never had like an adult conversation with him. You know, I listened to the podcast with, that you did with him and stuff and learned some new stuff, but I, I would love to honestly sit down. He's one of the ones that I would love to sit down and talk to. And, you know, I love Shane hit and Tim far and, and all of those guys, you know, Keith little, I loved Keith little. I, I wouldn't be where I am today without you as a father. So, you know, hard ass or not hard ass or tough or not, or it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I would legitimately not, be half the man I am today without you and mom and grandpa and grandma had a lot to do. Both my grandparents, all my grandparents had a lot to do with it and with who I am. And if you ask my wife, I'm pretty damn perfect. So I'm not going to ask your wife because in front of everybody, she's going to say that. And then she's going to turn around and kick you in the butt because you didn't do something right. No, no, no. She, if you ask her in person, she's probably going to be like, yeah, right. And then she'll be like, no, no, he is actually pretty dang good. She's spoiled though, so she's biased. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Don't, don't tell her I said that. Uh, it's going to be on there, so she's going to hear it. Yeah. All right, she's son. Good. Thanks. All sir. right, love you. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. 
brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.